Welcome back to another episode of Bush School Uncorked. I'm your host, Justin Bullock, and today I am sadly missing my co-host, Greg Galls, who I am missing today, so you're just going to have to rely on me to direct the ship today. We're doing something a little different today, which I'm really excited about. Um, our episodes up until this point have been discussing current issues with Bush School faculty. We're going to expand today, and we're going to be talking with a a couple of former Bush School students that have graduated from our master's program and are now actually out in the world being public servants. And each of the folks you're going to meet today have very interesting stories and are out doing some really cool work. What I'd like to do is I'm going to give the, the guests, the former students, an opportunity to introduce themselves. And then I'm going to start um, with each of them and spend maybe five or ten minutes talking a little bit about them, how they got to where they are, experiences at the Bush School, why they were interested in public service, a few kind of questions like that. And then we're going to talk broadly about public service, how they get to feel like they're serving the public in their current job, some challenges to that, some concerns in their current environments as they try to serve the public, and uh, hopefully have a interesting kind of panel conversation about that rather than just one-on-one -on -one direct Q&A that we'll start with. How does that sound to y'all? Sounds great. All right. Excellent. So uh, I'd like to take a moment first and we'll go from left to right across from me and let the students introduce themselves or former students. You are now graduated. I guess you're life students now. You made it. Um, but uh, Mary Lou, please start and tell us, uh, tell us your name and uh, maybe what organization you're currently with. Okay. I'm Mary Lou Hare. Um, I am with the American Heart Association currently. And what year did you finish your degree with the Bush School, actually? I finished the, my master's in 2017. 17. Got it. Thank you. Kirby? My name is Kirby Farrell. I finished up at the Bush School in 2018, and I'm now working with the Texas A&M Transportation Institute. Excellent. Thank you. Howdy. My name is uh, David <laughs> Fujimoto. I graduated Bush School in 2017, and I currently work at the Association of Former Students. And I, I apologize in advance, I can not call David anything but Fuji. So when you hear me say Fuji, that is who I'm referring to. <laughs> Actually, from the very first day of class, I have a really distinct memory of this. I have uh, in the 601 course that the students take with me, I have nameplates. And I have this really distinct memory of Fuji having his name kind of scratched out and just Fuji written in quotes at the top. I don't know if you remember that or not. I, I do. And, uh, I, my parents call me Dave, but my teachers and my friends call me Fuji, so... All right. All right. Well, that's what I'm going to roll with. So we're going to go in the same order that you met each of these individuals. And we'll start with you, Mary Lou. Um, I thought it'd be interesting for the listeners to know a little bit about your background, why you were interested in public service. So maybe where you're from and a little bit of background about where you are or where you're from and what led up to uh, joining the master's program and then why you were interested in a public service degree particularly. I am from Dallas and I currently live in Fort Worth, um, which if you're from the Metroplex, you know what a big deal that is <laughs> that I change locations. Um, but I actually uh, did my undergraduate at Texas Women's up in Denton mm -hmm. after I quit uh, going to school in Oklahoma because I thought I was going to be a musician. That did not work. Ooh, what kind of music? Uh, what I instrument? played flute and piccolo and oh, that's really cool. went to school on a music scholarship and realized I only liked it because I liked hanging out with people and not because musicians are really competitive and I am not. And so <laughs> it was not a good fit. Mm -hmm. um, so I quit school and started working retail um, and then 
decided, worked for Ralph Lauren for a few years and decided I was going to do marketing for uh, luxury retail. Went to Texas Women's, got a marketing degree. Um, and as I was finishing that degree at Texas Women's, was miserable in retail. And uh, both of my brothers were current students at A&M. Both of them were in the Corps Cadets. And I was just telling them, I was like, I can't, find, I can't figure out what I'm going to do. And one of them was like, so you know there's like this Bush school on campus and they like do some certificate things with like nonprofit stuff and it sounds like something maybe you'd want to do. And I was like, okay. So I applied for the nonprofit certificate uh -huh. uh, just because I was like, I need something else to do. Like I can't just work retail. This is life sucking. Because um, for me, every time I sold something, I was like, you should not be spending your money on another <laughs> jacket. Like yeah. we need to find something else to do. It's great stuff, but... <laughs> That's a nice tie, Fuji. It is short. Oh, we're putting a plug for Brooks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I like I mean, I, I am a shopaholic. I will be the first one to tell you, but um, I couldn't do it professionally. And uh, so started taking classes and started realizing that how I kind of function in life and how I wanted to exist really matched more of what we were talking about in like Dr. Brown's classes and what we were learning in that program. And so um, at that point, I finally started working for the American Heart Association and was waiting patiently for the Bush School to create an online program. And so the moment they launched the executive master's program, I jumped on it. And Very nice. So yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's been great. And so what is it that you're doing now and how has that changed from kind of where you were when you were starting and starting the program now that you've finished up what is your how has your position changed and what is it what are you currently doing with the American uh, Health Association American okay. Heart Association I'm sorry Heart Association so um, when I started the American Heart Association I was a project coordinator uh, in the Office of Science Operations which essentially meant I just helped our program managers with anything and everything related to do with awards and paying bills and basic um, administrative stuff to make sure that the Office of Science was like moving forward. Um, I now, this is my, I'm in my third position at the American Heart Association and I'm an associate program manager for scientific sessions which is the largest um, cardiovascular, cerebrovascular scientific medical meeting that we host every year. And so I work with scientists and researchers to plan all the educational content that goes on at those events. So our events are accredited, so we do continuing medical education and MOC stuff. And so my job essentially is coordinating all of that to make that happen. Um, I like to say that I do that professionally, and then um, I kind of in my free time am hugely passionate about working directly with people uh, to empower them to understand they're just generic intrinsic value as a human in this world. Mm -hmm. And so um, I spend a ton of time working with the youth and the college kids at our church and I've created a lot of educational content around um, justice-based consensual sex education and body image and self-worth. And um, I recently just went to Brownsville and Motomoro in Texas and Mexico uh, with the ACLU and Texas Impact to look at like what's actually happening on the border because I think um, I think there's a huge need that we talk about that all people are valued and important. And so that was what, actually, I should have started with that. That's what got me interested in this whole public service thing, mm -hmm. uh, is that piece of it, that everybody matters. Yeah, so um, I saw on your Facebook, actually, some of your posts about your trip around to Brownsville and starting to explain 
sort of what that was like and give me just a we can talk more about it but what is it like on the ground i mean how what was it like actually kind of being there and seeing it firsthand uh so i expected it to be chaotic and feel like intense and violent everywhere we went and it was not it was a lot of people um and so what we did is we sat in the court system to talk uh, and listen to a case of people who had entered the country illegally as they were getting processed and then we actually walked across the bridges and talked to people as they were waiting to seek asylum in the country and it's just like anybody else who's looking for a better chance at anything um it was heartbreaking to hear stories of people who had traveled for three months um and every single one of them wanted something better for their children wanted something better for themselves um and no one wanted to leave home every single one of them told us about oh, i just love my home country but i couldn't stay yeah for the sake of their lives or their children's mm -hmm. lives they had to make a different type of decision yep well i want to come back to some of that when we talk about some of the motivations for being in public service and some of your experiences i uh this is one issue that i followed uh i followed along closely and have chatted about and uh, posted about and argued about is uh um, some of the humanitarian challenges at the border and so i, I want to circle back to that uh, but in continuing to get to know each of the guests kirby that makes you next well, this is going to be a little anticlimactic after that <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. um so like i said my name is kirby farrell um I'm now working with the Texas A&M Transportation Institute, but if you would have asked me five or six or seven years ago what I would be doing, I would 100% be living in a Spanish-speaking country, working in some kind of international relations. Um, I don't really know how I got here. So I've always been very interested in transportation. I have this weird thing about airplanes and trains and, you know, all that fun stuff, bus routes. My friends think that I am the biggest fan of like roundabouts of anyone yeah. that they have ever met. Well, in their it's life. because they're better. <laughs> <laughs> it's not enough. If you drive in them correctly, <laughs> exactly. unfortunately, Texas doesn't have as many roundabouts, so you get to one here and it's like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? Who goes first? So people panic, but. I want to go ahead and assure my friends right now that I actually now work with 400 people that like roundabouts more than <laughs> You're so, not the only one. <laughs> yeah, I needed to say that. <laughs> so, um, like Mary Lou, I actually did my undergrad at a music school. I did not study I did not. music. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I have no musical <laughs> competence. <laughs> yeah. But you do know something about planes. And, and music. And music. All right, all right. I'm excited. We'll get there. <laughs> So I'm originally from Houston, Texas, actually southeast of Houston, Pasadena, Texas. Okay. Um, I did my undergrad at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, and I ended up there because I played softball in undergrad. So I like to say that Belmont found me, ended up there, the most beautiful school, and I love A&M too, it's very, very beautiful. <laughs> but Belmont is just gorgeous, and Nashville is one of the most incredible cities. I had a blast, but Nashville also has this very very awful traffic problem like I would say rivals a place like Houston and it's more frustrating because of certain design elements so I think that in Nashville that's where I really became interested in the ongoing transportation effort and I think that transportation is really cool because it is changing 
arguably more rapidly than any other policy field. I mean, mm -hmm. the technology and transportation is unreal, and the congestion problems and you know the different challenges that we're facing funding. You know, these are all such a big deal, but it's transportation. Yeah. So no one's really interested. It's not one of those hot policy areas like you know health and human services mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Um, it's not as inherently sexy um, <laughs> as some of those are, yeah. Yes, yeah, so um, I don't know. I, I actually studied international politics and Spanish in undergrad. Um, still thought for sure that I was going to live in an, you know live abroad somewhere and la-di-da-di-da, foreign service, the whole nine yards. And my senior year, I was actually able to intern for the House Majority Leader who is now the House Speaker in Tennessee, he rocks. Um, he's never gonna hear this, but if you do, I love you guys very much. <laughs> so I was able to intern for them, and I worked in, I kind of did some media stuff and some policy stuff, and absolutely fell in love with it. Very nice. And after that, I kind of realized that I wanted to work, you know, in the US, doing something more of state and local. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I graduated, I, worked for a digital media firm on political campaigns and I'm not really sure why I thought that was a good idea because <laughs> I'm not very technologically inclined I don't really enjoy it very much mm -hmm. you know so ended up there worked there briefly realized that was not where I wanted to be and I transitioned back to the Tennessee legislature and worked there for a while so I was bill tracking and doing all that fun stuff and at some point you know government and I'm, I'm probably touching on a point that you're going to get to later. Government is wonderful, but it's also one of those places that you have to do your time and work your way up. So you start out as like, you know, the low man on the totem pole. And I was bored mm -hmm. every day. You know, I, I was doing, fortunately I had a boss that was fantastic and he really incorporated me into a lot of the stuff that he was working on with watering wastewater, which I never thought would be interesting, but mm -hmm. actually is. Yeah, there is some really interesting <laughs> issues with water and wastewater. Water and wastewater. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, you know, I worked, <laughs> I worked there for a little bit and decided to come back. I always, I grew up an A&M fan, and I would have come to A&M for undergrad had it not been for softball. But when someone says, hey, we want to pay your tuition, you don't say, no You thanks. go, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've really been dying to go to A&M. <laughs> so, I knew I would, you know, I knew I'd make it back here eventually. I came back to do my master's, and Bush School was, was the obvious choice for me. So, um, you're at TTI now. I am. And I don't know that you know this, but I, well, I don't know if TTI is is partnering with this, but I'm about to find out because hopefully you know the answer. But I recently got a uh, grant from the IBM Business of Government to partner up with the city of Bryan and some of the engineers to study the autonomous trolleys that are in downtown Bryan. So it's a small, it's a small grant, but I'm meeting with the project lead in uh, I think a week to get the like get a little tour on the autonomous trolleys here in downtown Bryan, and uh, <clears throat> I was not particularly like you uh, was not particularly interested in transportation at least from the beginning and i've gotten really interested in uh, artificial intelligence and emerging technologies and there is some to your point there's some really really fascinating stuff going on in technology at a crazy pace i mean this is the next kind of frontier for automation and for changing how we move around in society and so i want to get 
some of your thoughts on that as we move forward, just like I want to get back to some of the border issues. But uh, is TTI involved? I would assume yes. We are involved with the trolley down here. So I would assume yes. But not something you're working on? Not something. Well, I'm doing government affairs, so I am not necessarily a researcher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My business title is associate transportation researcher, so... You know, sometimes I say I'm <laughs> But, no, I'm doing government affairs, so I kind of, um, my role with TTI is, you know, I, I should know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, whenever we're in the contract phase, I'm not yeah. as aware until that proliferates. And then someone's like, hey, by the way, you should know this. Yeah. So my role there is to kind of know what everyone's doing. Mm -hmm. And if we get inquiries from outside sources, I can figure out who of this institute of hundreds of people has this information and pull from different areas if I need to and get oh, it together cool. for a response. Yeah. So. And how did you end up there after being at the Bush School? What, did you have an internship there? How did you end up at TTI? So this is a really funny story. It's actually, I work on the same hall now as a former Bush School student who is now working on her PhD. Um, that would be, I believe, Jackie Guzio, right? Yes, it Yeah, is. we need to have her out as well. She's wonderful, yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. So um, I had a class with Jackie last spring. Um, it was a, an urban planning class on campus. And I, our professor for that course had us make a Twitter account to tweet about our readings every week. Mm-hmm. And so just during this process, we all kind of linked up and we're like, you know, we're all the nerds that are on Twitter right now tweeting like hashtag transpo 637. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Super I imagine that uh, did not catch off when not a lot of people, people you know, were it, it uh, uh, tweeting that. But it was funny because she, our professor, has so pretty? many transportation friends that they would start responding and they're like, good idea. And, you know. Oh, you got a little bit of trending then. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> It was funny because my first tweet, I got multiple text messages from friends almost immediately saying, please tell me this isn't a thing. <laughs> You're not really going to do this, are you? All semester, do I unfollow you now and follow you again later? And I was like, yeah, go ahead, it's fine. That's no good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I followed Jackie in the process of uh, this whole shenanigan. And when she caught wind that TTI was you know, writing up a job description for this position, she said she immediately thought of me and sent me a message and asked for my resume via Twitter. So That's awesome. she then sent me her email, I sent her my resume and the rest is history. Here I am. That is that is a that is a millennial way of finding a job if there ever was one you would tweet it at. Very funny. That's great. All right. Thank you. To, in the interest of time, I'm going to move on to uh, Fuji here. So give us a little background on you and how you ended up at the Bush School and uh, what you're doing now. So thank you, Dr. Willick, and I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to speak, speak on this panel with these illustrious former students and, and you as well. Um, so I go by Fuji, and I think I'm uh, a diverse member of this panel because my story is nothing. I did my undergraduate at the United States Air Force Academy and served in the Air Force for over 22 years uh, as a pilot. Um, as I came towards the end of that service in uniform, I knew that I wanted to continue to serve my country and my community and my state. Um, in, in another form and fashion. And I had always admired President Bush because when I took my oath of office, um, my oath to enter um, the Air Force and, and be a cadet, 
uh, he was our president, and he was our president during Desert Storm. Um, and so uh, I had already always admired him and his values and his public service, and um, I knew that I had to find the right way to continue service outside of the outside of uniform. Um, I was actually um, interested in Texas A&M. My wife is an Aggie, um, and so she always thought highly of the school, and I served with a lot of Aggies when I was in uniform, and I was always impressed uh, to a man and a woman, uh, the folks that had been in the Corps and taken a commission and, and chosen to serve their country in that way. I had always been impressed by Aggies. Um, and so I started doing a little research into this, this school called the Bush School, and um, was very impressed with the, the degree programs, the type of courses that were offered. And um, once I found out a little bit more about it and had the opportunity to apply, it was a very easy decision um, to, to come to the Bush School. And uh, probably one of the best decisions I made in my life. And the reason I say that is it opened up my eyes to the many, many, many ways people serve in and out of uniform. They serve uh, their communities, their cities, a cause, their country, their state, and um, I really feel like I, I found a home, uh, and I found a set of like-minded individuals um, and like-minded professors um, that were interested in the same things uh, I was, um, mm -hmm. and so um, I'm thankful for that experience. And since you uh, came to the Bush School, you were stuck with me in one or two oh, classes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and public policy challenge. Yeah. So which was a lot of fun, it sure was. and which sadly they're not doing uh, anymore. Um, but you came to the Bush School, you made a career change. Where are you now? I made a huge career change <laughs> because I don't work in national security. Uh, I actually work in higher ed, and so I work at the Association of Former Students. Uh, I'm the director of strategic engagement. That's a lot of big words for running an advocacy network, and our advocacy network concentrates on higher ed, higher ed policy and funding for higher ed. And so uh, I have the privilege of translating some of that policy towards our very large and diverse uh, former student base that we have at, at Texas A&M. And my responsibility is to kind of take the things that go on in Congress um, legislation-wise, politics-wise, as well as in Austin and, and figure out how does that affect Texas A&M. How does that affect state schools? And how can former students specific to Texas A&M take a role in understanding that policy and uh, being a vocal advocate in, in trying to get their voices heard by their elected officials uh, regarding that higher ed policy? So it's not something I studied at the Bush School. Mm -hmm. It's not something two years ago I would have ever thought. Uh, Seeing a common trend around here. <laughs> involved in, but I have to say I'm passionate about it because um, I'm a first-generation college student myself, mm -hmm. and um, I'm the grandson of, of immigrants to this country, and if I was not given the higher ed opportunities that I was, I would not be the person and citizen that I am today. So it's something that I can do with a straight face, with, with, with a lot of passion, because there's so many indicators that tell you why higher ed is important to the United States and, and how it changes people's quality of life. Very nice. So I want to pose a question to each of you. Uh, so we now, you've heard from everyone, in case you forgot, 
we have three guests, and now you've heard from all three of them. <laughs> and I want to uh, abstract a little bit, and I want to pose one question to you about school, and then I want to talk about public service. What was, and instead of rah-rah, grad school's great, Bush school's great, we all know that. That's why you're here. What was one of the most challenging things for you personally about choosing to devote the two or two plus years to grad school and you know it it was important to you it's got you in some interesting new places but grad school isn't easy uh, and your time here had its own type of personal sacrifices and challenges so i'd like to hear on a more kind of real note for lack of better words what was something that was really challenging for you during your time at the at the bush school anybody can jump in at any time you like I didn't prepare them for this question, so I'm putting them on the spot. Go ahead, Kirby, jump in. Um, so I actually had multiple people come up, you know, come up to me at some point during the past two years and say, how's grad school? I've heard it's even easier than undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, you don't know much about the Bush School then. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not necessarily that everything you're doing is that hard. It was almost like at times I felt like my limits were just being tested. Like, how badly do you want this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it, it kind of became in, on top of that, I was also working two different jobs, which was a lot. When I got into grad, you know, whenever I was start, when I was starting, I didn't think much about it. I was like, yeah, you know, I played softball in undergrad and that was a, more than a full-time job and then I was doing school so no big deal I'll work you know I'm not pulling out any loans for this we're doing it guys whoa so you can't see her but she has the most accurate facial expression of what grad school feels like yes I agree okay. actually I can remember in uh decision making oh, nice. I think decision making which was your last oh, your final semester no, which I think was, was was it your was it year one when you had decision making yeah, yeah. And I think it was the first time I had had I had had you, and there were certainly yeah. there were certainly days where I could tell that you had uh, been quite busy. Yes, yeah, it was stressful, and there was one, especially with my capstone project. There was one week. This was a span of like five days that I worked on this capstone project. I kid you not, because we had to count, we had to keep timesheets. I worked on this thing for like 52 hours. Oh my gosh! And did not sleep for three of those nights. Ugh. I was toast by the end of the week, but I didn't pull out any loans for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I was, I was bound and determined to do that. But it's, I mean, it all comes down to how much you want to get out of it and how badly you want to get where you want to go. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can take the, the easy way out and put just enough effort into everything to do well, or you can actually push yourself and try to you know, learn what you want to learn and, you know, do a little bit extra because you care about that certain policy area. So I wouldn't say that grad school in itself is, you know, it, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so for the people who think that it's easier than undergrad, you are seriously mistaken, you know, <laughs> in that thinking. I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's a choice and it's something that if you don't care about, you're not going to enjoy. So Great. I think that's really what I got from grad school and the friends, oh my gosh. Being in a room of, you know, it's a privilege to be surrounded by the kind of people that attend the Bush School. So I have to give a shout out to my friends. They're incredible and unparalleled in most rooms. 
That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Anyone else want to jump in? Yeah, I know you framed this question as as what were the challenges, um, and so I'm really I'm really thinking about that. I think you know my situation was unique because I already had a full time and demanding job. Um, and I've always kind of been the guy that likes school, mm -hmm. right? And I've already been to grad school prior to coming to Bush School. Um, and so for me, it reset my priorities and it reset my quality of life and balance a little bit differently because I could just concentrate on school. I didn't have to worry about flying airplanes and going overseas and things like that. Um, and I think for me, and, and I'm fortunate that the Bush School really does an excellent job of this, was that I felt like I came with a lot of practitioner experience, at least in the national security realm, and that there was so much for me to learn about state and local, about nonprofit, about some of the theory that I had um, participated in as a practitioner, but I had never been exposed to the theory side outside of the military. And so for me, that was kind of challenging to uh, keep in perspective my practitioner experience, but knowing that I did not have the experience necessarily on the theory side. Um, for me, I think another challenge too was the military has a wonderful diverse set of folks, but it's, it's a very codified, structured uh, organization, right? And it's, a lot of it's based on your experience and your rank. Mm -hmm. um, in, in grad school, that's all, all, all mixed up. And that, so my um, peers were even more diverse and came from a greater diversity of opinions, academic backgrounds, um, colleges, political beliefs, social beliefs than were in the military. The military is not homogenous, but it's more homogenous than the Bush School. And so for me, um, I just had to realize that um, that just because I had learned something a certain way or my experiences were a certain way, that might not have been um, the experience of my peers. Um, but again, I feel like I'm one of the geeky guys that I didn't try to get a pass. I was involved mm -hmm. in class mm -hmm. and took it seriously. And just because I thought the material was interesting and relevant. And again, the Bush School is preparing you to be a practitioner of public service. And, and I just enjoyed not only my peers, but the way the professors approached the classes that way. That, hey, you need to know some of this theory, but how are you going to use the theory? Not in class, but more appropriate. How are you going to use it in a year or two? Um, and that I just I just thought that that for me personally and professionally that struck the right the right balance. Yeah, I like that you highlight some of the structure changes to your day and to your uh, kind of who you were accountable to and what you had going on. Uh, Fuji and I, with a few other students, uh, worked on a public policy challenge that was. Um, sponsored by the Fells Institute at UPenn. And one of the things that we looked at was exactly that, the transition of former uh, servicemen and women into universities and some of the challenges that presented going from a super structured environment to particularly somewhere like Texas A&M, which is large, it's easy to get lost, and then all of a sudden you're in a civilian environment where you're not expected to report at you know a certain time every day to certain places and some of the risk factors give, uh, that's associated with that. And, um, and I think that you, uh, you, well, you did, a, uh, I think, an excellent job of, of navigating that space. But it was, uh, it was interesting as we had conversations and then thinking about other uh, former uh, servicemen and women that, were, that we knew that were part of that team that kind of thinking about something that never occurred to me. I mean, I, uh, I have 
never had to be super disciplined. <laughs> and so seeing what it was like to go from, you know, having a, having a troop or having a group of people that relied on you and that you were accountable to, to the big broad world where there isn't, is kind of an interesting challenge for public servants going from military service to wanting to participate in civilian service. But I, I will add that there are opportunities for folks to work on their leadership at the Bush School, whether it's being the leader of your capstone, the leader of a student group, SGA, uh, intramurals, uh, ambassadors. And so another thing that I think is good is, is or was uh, important for me is to kind of step back and that, make sure other folks have the opportunity to practice their leadership, mm -hmm. their public speaking skills, and of which there are plenty of opportunities within the Bush School. And again, uh, it, it's designed that way. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So. Mary Lou, I'm going to put you on the spot here momentarily, okay. so be prepared to, uh, to answer the question as well. But so the two of you can be thinking, the follow-up question is going to be, because it's a pretty broad one, and I want you to take a few moments to think about why uh, Mary Lou and I are chatting about this. But one of the things that's unique about the Bush School, I think, is the focus on public service. And so I'm curious, what is public service to you and how you live it out? So be prepared for that. But first, challenges from grad school, and your, your context is a little different. Yeah. You were doing the uh, the MPSA, the online environment, yeah. that's how we connected. So maybe tell me a little bit about that experience, because I imagine it might be similar in some ways, but also different from uh, Fuji and Kirby's experience. Well, I will start by saying I am not a school person, so Fuji can have that title. <laughs> um, He's like me. <laughs> that's, why, yeah, that's why I never left. <laughs> <laughs> Having done the Bush School, I'm, I enjoy it a lot more, but uh, going into it, it school is not my thing. Um, and so for me, first of all, there was a challenge, like Kirby said, coursework is hard when you're in a master's program. It's just hard. Uh, you are learning at a different level. You're learning faster, you're learning more, and you're learning it on a practical application, not just a theoretical application. So. Whereas undergrad, I think, you know, it's like, oh, here's some great things that you can do in your potential future job. Bush school, you're like, here, today we're talking about not only what you could do, but how you're actually going to do this in all four of these situations that are going to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. And so the coursework is one thing on its own. And here's my formal apology for the 900 times I texted you on Friday nights <laughs> being like, what does this problem say? I don't what understand. What is that Sigma thing Where, you keep talking about? I don't about. know how to start. Um, <laughs> Disclaimer here, I taught Mary Lou statistics online, yeah. which oh. one, teaching statistics online, not an easy scenario, <laughs> but learning statistics online, it's I think hard. is its own <laughs> crazy challenge. Uh, but actually that leads me very well into what I thought the hardest challenge was. So I was working full time. It's an executive program. So it was part of the uh, qualifications was you had to be a full time um, employee somewhere and so I was working full-time at the American Heart Association um, I was engaged I'm super involved uh, I live real close to my family super involved that my brother was commissioned in the Air Force he's actually a pilot he and his wife are both in the Air Force um, I'm super involved <laughs> yes. um, super involved at my church uh, and so as much as I wanted to learn all this stuff there was this whole piece of my life that I constantly had to say I need all of you people to wait until I can figure out what this one thing is I'm supposed to be learning right now. Um, or I know I'm not coming to any of these events because I have this 
ridiculous paper I have to write and I have to reread whatever. Um, and it was totally worth it. And I think to Kirby's point, when you love it and when you're passionate about it and when you put so much into it, you get so much out of it. And I don't, there's not a moment I regret or would change, but learning how to balance my personal life um, and then my professional life and my school life, all which I felt like needed all of my attention all the time, um, was really hard. And I think you pointed out the capstone. The capstone was hard, and uh, because it was an online, I did it online, we were working with a group. Uh, nobody in my group lived in the same area. And I think the week before we turned it in, I was in College Station in Houston every single day that week for different trying to like finalize this paper and so just at that point I my husband and I had just gotten married and I was like okay babe love you I'm leaving for a week I'm gonna go figure out how to finish school like um so just balancing those relationships that you care about and that you want to nurture and you want to grow but also uh there was there was a huge learning curve of like who are the people who are going to be in my life that I really need in my life because they were so supportive of this process and letting me really just dive into this and not be offended when I canceled birthday party plans and all that last minute. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. One of the things, so this is my fifth year as a Bush school professor. And the thing that I didn't notice at first, but that I've noticed over time, uh, because of how I went through grad school and, and a few other things, but is the significance of the, trade-offs you have to make to do it well, right? Yeah. You can't, uh, you might can skirt by in some classes by, you know, giving a less, uh, less effort, um, but it really, it can really be all encompassing and in some ways that's, that's beautiful and fun and rich and in some ways that really does um, uh, call for personal trade-offs to do this thing towards public service that you, that you care about. So let's talk a little bit about public service. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned a moment ago, one of the things that I appreciate about being at the Bush School as opposed to any other program that I could be at as someone who studies public administration is the focus on public service. And in some ways, I think people, uh, some people that I know, oh, that's corny. Like, why do y'all do, do that there? Why do you have your own little separate degree? And I think it is uh, relatively unique in its, in its focus on serving others, which was part of former President Bush's dream for the school. And I think it really does uh, permeate the culture. And so after spending time at the Bush School, how is it that you think about public service and trying to serve others as a profession, whether it's personally or whether it's uh, part of what you do for your day-to-day -day life? What, what is it? about public service that um, that is important to you or that motivates you? Or how, how do you conceptualize this thing of, of public service? Well, I'll, I'll start. And for, for me, it, it's pretty easy. It's what our namesake said. It's, it's a noble calling. And so uh, I think for me, the, the, mil the call to serve, which was manifested in the military, serving in the military first was something that I felt a long, long time ago, even, even as a young, young teenager. Um, but, you know, and I define it pretty simply, and that's um, kind of serving a cause that's greater than your individual, yourself, your individual needs, your wants, your desires. And I think that um, we do have a legacy of Americans doing that, mm -hmm. going back to the things that the founding fathers gave up to, to 
gain our independence from, from England. And so I do think there's a little bit of baked into that, into the American, American experience, if you will. Um, I think for me, and I'm not trying to be hokey, but it's a little bit of a guiding light, is that um, when you're frustrated in, in things that happen in a day-to-day basis at your work or with politics or uh, things that frustrate you about um, fr- friends or family, um, that if you have this thing that you're constantly looking towards and that you know that your work is helping, is magnified and is helping a greater group than your immediate circle, um, to me that's very gratifying and um, it's something that it, it kind of gives me some, some inner peace mm-hmm. and I feel, um, I feel an immense set of pride that, that I can associate my work with something that helps a much larger group of people than, than my, myself. I like that. Ladies? You stole my answer. That's right. <laughs> Let's hear it in your words, Kirby. <laughs> you know, I'm really just here so that I can get to Southeast Houston faster. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I would say, and I think this probably stems from working in transportation because it's not the sexy policy issue. You know, there are few... Higher ed is food deserts and stuff like that that's just you know this immediate need kind of thing that's I'm not saying that transportation isn't but people don't see it as an immediate need Mm -hmm. so I think that to me public service is being this background group of people that is looking at the whole picture and analyzing everything to try to create the best future situation for people. You know, I like that. Yeah. It's not necessarily this because government's designed to work slowly. We all know that. <laughs> Defining <so> characteristics. <laughs> government has to solve some wicked problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's not this system of immediate gratification, and we're all very aware of that. So it's not like I'm going to snap my fingers and all of a sudden I-35 isn't congested anymore. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> don't have that power. <laughs> Come on, Kirby. But it's just, you know, it's seeing the future and looking at these, you know, long-term problems that we have to start addressing now because other people aren't seeing it. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're fully immersed in something, you begin to see it differently and your view and perspective changes. And that, you know, I, I work in this area, I work in transportation and I love transportation, but that doesn't mean that I'm not seeing the need for, you know, broadband across the state of Texas and the different, you know, having access to healthcare. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it's not that I'm not seeing that, I'm just seeing how transportation's involved in that. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, you know, if, if we do this, this, and this, we could create a better situation in this area and other problems could start to solve itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's so interesting about transportation to me is that it's involved in everything. Mm-hmm. It's involved in healthcare, education. Energy policy, yes. I mean, all of it. everything. Yeah. And so... So my take on it is just, you know, let's start to think about these issues now to create something better going forward. I like that. Thank you, Kirby. So I think if service wasn't such a big deal at the Bush School, I wouldn't have been inclined to go to school there. Because uh, to me, that's the, the point. The policy is important and all, you know, all of it's important. And I think all three of us can sit here and talk about like, 
all of those things for days. And obviously we love this topic. Like, mm-hmm. um, you're here. <laughs> right? um, but I think the service piece of it for me or why public service matters is because the people matter. And if we're going to be a nation or a world that cares about people in any aspect, then we have to care about serving them in any aspect. And it looks different and it looks different amongst the three of us sitting here or however you want to expand that. Um, and, and I think we could, we could all go on and on and on about how we want good things for people or whatever. But I think when you look at people who are choosing to be public servants, who are choosing this is like, this is not just what I'm going to do. It's going to be what I study and like invest time and energy and money in. Um, you're looking at people who at the root of it care so deeply about the people and Mm -hmm. how the people matter and how do we do better for our people? And for me, that's the coolest part of all of it. I like that as well. Very nice answers. So I like to think about what we do as a profession and a profession of public service, which is why I really like the focus of the Bush School explicitly saying we're training public servants. And I like how the three of you have adopted that as well. As a field of public service or as a profession that you're all participating in, Uh, You may or may not be aware that the broader world is having some geopolitical concerns. And you may or may not be aware that domestically we have lots of challenges, uh, independent of your own political leanings. And so I I worry for public servants in 2019. The the pushback against experts as having a legitimate role in policy discussion um, this, uh, this wave of dehumanization that seems to be kind of unfolding, um, not just in the U.S., but in a few places. Um, and I think these are, uh, and also things like right now as we're recording this, the U.S. government is in a partial shutdown, which really affects public servants and their paychecks and their ability to provide for their families um, and their ability to, to serve when they have those economic needs. So... Um, I was wondering if you all have any thoughts about what are some of the challenges given that you're, you're in, the, in the trenches, as we say, and what you do. What do you see as some of the challenges for our, as our, for our profession? So like for me, thinking about academia and thinking about uh, public service, you know, I'm always worried about our, our weird incentives that come along with getting money, right? Because in the modern university, you gotta be chasing money and money is, is good and, and generates a lot of wealth and is useful. We, we couldn't be sitting here, I wouldn't have my job without the money that comes to the universities. But I do worry, for me, about the influence of, of money directing who and how we serve. So that's one of mine, for example, like as I think about public servants, that people that would like to be helping, say, immigrants, there's not a lot of resources there sometimes. Um, and even within, within higher ed or, or thinking about higher ed uh, institutes. So what do you see as some of the challenges as we're in 2019? There's a lot going on in the world. You know, talking heads in the media are really kind of in outrage mode. What do you think are the challenges for our profession? In, in general, it's, it's the politicization of, of, of public service. I think that, again, we within like the civil service realm and their equivalents at the state level and then even at the nonprofit level that to a certain extent you've been insulated from from politics you know that it happens and it's it's a, it's a part of our government it's a part of our country's history but that the missions that you were charged with executing were um, 
not as greatly affected by politics as maybe they are in today's in environment. And I think that that system was set up for a reason because uh, as some of the other uh, panelists alluded to, people kind of choose this as a lifelong profession and that their political leadership will change and the mm -hmm. winds of politics will change um, and positions will change. but. They're choosing this career field because they're passionate about an issue. They're passionate about helping a community, uh, uh, and that um, they want that to survive. Their work to survive and their cause to survive, regardless of the, the, the political appointee or the person or the party in power. And that um, I think that's the system that most Americans want. They, they don't want every single issue wrapped up in the partisanship of politics. They want their government to function, to function effectively, to function efficiently. They want some insulation for the folks that have chosen um, to, to provide some of those services in the, in the public um, public service uh, sphere. Um, and so, my fear is that some of these things, higher ed, for instance, which used to be bipartisan or nonpartisan. At the national and state level, mo the majority of parties agreed that higher ed was good. Funding mm -hmm. higher ed is good. Um, recent polling shows um, some frustration among the parties with higher ed for different reasons. But that, even that issue where both parties traditionally agreed can't escape uh, the partisanship yeah. at the national and to a certain extent the state level. And I think that is immensely frustrating for those of us that work in, in those um, those areas. Yeah, politicization, I think, is uh, is pretty clearly one that's having a serious impact on the lives of public servants. I mean, again, take the shutdown as just a classic example at this point. Um, yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, so I think burnout is a pretty high one. Um, and the reason... And, and maybe we need to clarify that feeling of burnout because um, to your point about money, there's a sense of not having any money to do what you want to do, uh, constantly seeking money to do what you want to do. Um, there's that piece of it. But I also think uh, when you choose this lifelong career of being a public servant, you are choosing to constantly put something above you or constantly be seeking something better. Um, and I know for me personally, that can be exhausting to feel like you're not doing enough. Um, you're not seeing enough change. You're not getting enough done. Sometimes it's because there's literally not enough resources. And sometimes it's because we're in a slow machine and it just takes a long time to make things happen. Um, and so that feeling, I think that feeling of like not doing, I'm not doing enough. So I have to constantly do more. Or I have to constantly be devoting my time. The other thing I um, have had a lot of conversations recently with people about is the bur the emotional burnout from being a public servant. So this feeling of I've now invested all of my being into this one issue and I really just need two days to step away from it. And I don't know how because I'm going to feel guilty that I that I have the privilege to walk away. Um, and and I think there's a balance there. I think there's a balance of learning that like as public servants, you also have to take care of yourself. And sometimes that means you have to walk away and finding out how you don't get burned out. How do you not get burned out, but still do what you feel called to do and meet those needs that you see? I think that's a good one as well. Yeah. Kirby, any thoughts? My mind is going all different directions. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, share one direction with us. One direction. So I think that three 
of the things that came to mind would be conflicting interests, lack of resources, and emotions. You know, public servants are all extremely passionate about what they do, which is what makes them such a unique group of people. You know, they truly, wholeheartedly go forth each day to serve this particular interest that they're passionate about. You know, but without, you know, it's, it's easy to say, everyone wants to feed hungry children, for example. You know, if you ask me, do you want to feed a hungry child or design a new bus route? I'm, I'm gonna feed the child, everyone wants to feed the child, you know? But there are limited resources, that, that kind of brings me into the second one, is that there are limited resources where, yes, you wanna feed the hungry child 10 times out of 10, every single day I wanna feed the hungry child, but if you start to provide, you know, a citywide transit where this child's parents can now get to a grocery store or something like that, you know, and that's a very, very base level example mm -hmm. of it, but it's, it's trying to find this happy medium of where we put resources, you know, and, and that's one of the issues in transportation is it's really hard to say we need more money because you know, everyone thinks of transportation, and they're like, well, <laughs> yeah. like, it's it's congestion, yeah, it's a problem, but, like, you know, people aren't often seeing the big picture of what transportation can solve, mm -hmm. you know, so, so there are limited resources, and we're very aware of that, which, fortunately, we have private companies, you know, the private sector and nonprofit that come in to fill some of these voids and some of these needs, which is essential, but it's it's so challenging to figure out where the balance is, because... You want to give everyone all the money they need, but you can't. It's not possible. So that's where conflicting interests come into play, and you start to see a lot of political games and stuff like that, which you understand, but you don't like it. Yeah, so frustrating. You know, it's like, oh, well, I, I get it, but like, do you have to do that? <laughs> you know? so it's, it's you get the incentives, but really? Yeah. yeah and, and once things happen in government, which was another thought of mine, you know. Once someone d takes this action and this is put into law or, you know, it's taken out of code or, you know, something like that, once it's done, if it's a mistake, it takes even longer to fix it. You know, it's, it's a slow-moving process. And once you commit to something, you know, sometimes it takes even more votes to undo it. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, government is designed with an incredible amount of, intentionality intentionality if that's a word yeah it, it is a word yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a little weird coming out of my mouth it's really quiet right <laughs> but you know it's it's designed in such an incredible way that you know history nerds are like oh my god this is so cool mm -hmm. but like it's also frustrating at times because mm -hmm. of how slow it is so i could talk for 20 minutes but <laughs> justin i just like to ask you real quick i, I don't think public servants are looking for a pat on the back, but a lot of folks that work in government and maybe even to a certain extent nonprofits, you know, when you hear about them in the media or you hear about their work is when something goes wrong, mm -hmm. right? When a constituent has an issue, a yeah. problem, or some service wasn't delivered how it was promised, you never hear about the successes. Um, and at the federal level, at the state level, uh, at the local level, there are so many layers of government providing services on, on a daily basis with people with the um, 
efficiently and effectively using uh, tax dollars and, and donations and resources. And I don't think public servants are looking for a pat on the back, but... Um, It'd be nice not to be a scapegoat on it. <laughs> it's inspiring how President Bush um, recognized that. He, he lived a life of service and that he wanted his legacy um, to be about public service. And, and even Bush 43 had a proposal about national service and mm -hmm. public service. And so that family, it's definitely an ethos there, and it's an ethos in other families, but there are a lot of good Americans that this is their passion, and they're not looking for a high paycheck. They're not necessarily looking for a pat on their back. They usually get feedback when something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but it is really, if you took away all the public service aspects of our society, um, there wouldn't be um, private industry or other groups that necessarily could fill those needs for our citizens. They're, they're just good. Yeah. Uh, and I'm talking about from food security all the way to na you know national security. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're getting close on time, but I don't want to. I didn't want to end on the the negativity. <laughs> uh, and one of my own goals for 19 is to be more uh, less negative, I suppose. Um, so let's end on a sales pitch, uh, and and not a uh, not a used car sales pitch. I want you to share uh, in conclusion with the audience, despite some of the threats to public service now, why they should do it anyways. Why someone who's contemplating public service should go after it anyways. Why does it remain rewarding or useful to you, even in the midst of things like burnout, burnout and politicization and emotional responses and conflicts of interest that you have to watch people play out. I mean, there's some real challenges, but I think the reason we all do it um, is because of the benefits, right? And, the, and the, the way you get to contribute to helping others. So why should someone, despite hearing our concerns about public service, choose to go into public service and serving others anyways? Go ahead, Kirby. Go first this time. I've been passing the ball. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, especially on your way to getting where you're going, you kind of feel like you're in a tunnel and you're like, where's this end goal? Where am I going? What do I want? But then you get there and it is such a good feeling to figure out this place, this role where you can serve, you know, your community the country, your state, you know, whatever it is. And um, when I joined TTI, I can't tell you what a great feeling it was to go into work every day and work alongside these brilliant people. I mean, these people that could be working in the private sector making absurd amounts of money. My boss is one of the most intelligent people. I mean, I have two bosses primarily. They're both just brilliant. I mean, one is this incredible ideas person, and this other one has a memory, like a steel trap, that will recall a relationship from like 25 years ago and say, oh, so-and-so doesn't care for so-and-so because this thing happened 25 years ago. You wouldn't know that you weren't here. <laughs> I was barely alive. <laughs> so, and so it's, it's so funny because, you know, I, I get to be in this place with hundreds of people that have chosen to pursue this career to try to improve the lives of the people around them. You know, they have chosen to work in the public sector because they're working for this, this means that's beyond any of us. But as a whole, we can slowly but surely start to address it. And so seeing these people 
and seeing the amount of income that they've probably forfeited over the years because they care so much about the people around them, it's inspiring. And it's unlike any other work environment, any other feeling. So. Very good. I'll take that. For me, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit of uh, pay it forward. So I think, you know, uh, as a citizen of this country, myself and my family have been the benefit of public servants that have preceded me. So I, I view it as a little bit of an obligation to my fellow citizens and, and the folks that serve before me in, in different capacities. Um, but I also think that um, that it is immensely satisfying to identify yourself that's with something that's bigger than you as an individual and to find that passion in, in other folks that have made sacrifices to, to serve in, in the way that they're doing and to be part of be part of a group or an issue or a cause that's making your country or your state or your community better, um, that's just intrinsically satisfying. And the motivation to do that and the rewards are so pure mm -hmm. because they're not financially based, they're not fame based. Um, they're, it's just the right thing to do. And I, I, I am an optimist that even though our country has faults, a lot of folks have stepped up and done the right thing across a plethora of issues. Um, and I just think that that's part of being American. Improve your city, improve your community, improve your country. Be willing to sacrifice a little of your time, of your, of your paycheck, of your prestige, um, your personal safety. Um, and I think that's something unique about Americans. And so um, I, I think it's a worthwhile thing to do. It's, it's definitely a noble call. Uh, there's a huge part of me that just says, oh my gosh, it's just worth it. Just do it. Like, it's just, it's just, it's just so great. Um, and if you ask me, like, at the end of a work day that's been particularly trying, that's probably not the words that come out of my mouth. But I'm also up the next morning ready to go. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with both of y'all and your answers. And I, I think um, there's something really powerful and empowering about being able to serve others and then those people continue that service um, and I am going to use a quote that was said by a woman named Melba Zapata who was on the border she's a minister down there and she said we were all given skills by God and all we have to do is be the seed and everything else comes and I love that because it's, it's this idea of like I, I have the set of skills that I can use to help the people around me and to help my community and my nation and my world um, I don't have to do everything. I don't have to try to be everything. I just have to do what I'm here to do and do it to the best of my ability for the to serve the other people. And there's such, I think there's such a powerful feeling seeing other people join in in that. Um, I don't know. It's real good. Those, <laughs> it's real not, good. I like that. Those are real answers. They're honest answers, which I will take in this space every time. Um, well. So I wanted to get back to a number of things that we didn't get back to. I wanted to talk about some of the work you were all doing, but alas, it's been an hour, believe it or not. <laughs> and in uh, respect of your time and the listener's time, uh, I, I want to go ahead and close this out. But uh, thank you so much to each of you for taking the time to, to be the, the first uh, former students to be a part of this podcast and have conversations with... Uh, with me about what it's like to be a public servant. Uh, this is going to be a regular feature of the Bush School Uncorked, and I think it's an important one. I think it's important for people to see or hear about not just what 
us academics in our ivory tower in the Allen building are doing, but uh, actually what you all are out doing, uh, getting your hands dirty, being on the ground, making some big applied differences as well. Um, so many thanks. Also, um, Greg always reminds me, because uh, I'm bad to forget, but many thanks to our host as well. We're at Downtown Uncorked yet again, and uh, we're very happy and appreciative to have this space and uh, look forward to having many more conversations here. Um, we have a few things coming down the pipe. We're going to do another one of these conversations in early February. We're going to do another conversation with uh, faculty in the second week of February, I believe. And so it'll be a little bit of a time gap, I think. We may sneak something back else in, in January. Um, but otherwise, we'll have a couple episodes for you in January. And many, many thanks to all of you following along. And also, of course, thanks to our panelists and for being here. It means a lot to me that you take the time. And it is uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about my job is watching my former students go out into the world and do cool things and help others out. And so I am proud of each one of you and the work you're doing. So thank you for it. Thanks for letting us thank talk. Yeah. 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 Thanks, yep, you're welcome. Have a nice evening and thank you to our listeners once again.